Chinese President Xi Jinping recently made his international trip again to one of the sensitive countries in the world, which is Saudi Arabia. And given the fact that today, the entire world continues to face the energy crisis because of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Now, for this time, not only Xi Jinping met up with the crucial leaders in Saudi Arabia, but also multiple deals or multiple economic agendas were also brought on the table. Now, get this, more than $29 billion deal were signed between the two countries, and also Xi Jinping reaffirmed this full commitment between China and the Saudi Arabia. But meanwhile, that sent a strong message to the countries such as the United States of America. And what about this relationship between the West and Saudi Arabia? Is China indicating something else and the West has missed already? Now, in this episode, we're going to address all of the key points. Of course, if you follow our show, you know one of our distinguished speaker, and which is Professor Mark Lenton. Professor Lenton teaches in political science and including international relations, and his expertise focuses on China, Japan, South Korea, North Korea, and many crucial countries in Asia, and also regarding the security studies and political economy. Now, Professor Mark, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Hey, <clears throat> thank you. Good morning from Canada. Great to be back. Well, Professor Mark, the pleasure is oh my. Now, I know the whole world is very excited about the World Cup, but that's not really what we're here today to discuss. But let's get to the questions right away. As we mentioned before, Chinese President Xi Jinping recently wrapped up his trip in the Middle East. Not only he visited multiple countries this time, and also he spent more than three or four days with the leader in Saudi Arabia. And again, Professor Mark, as I mentioned before, during this journey, that both countries signed multiple deals and the value worth more than $29 billion. And most importantly, that during this uh, economic agenda or the package, both countries seem to are uh, going to agree on the point that Chinese currency is going to be the mechanism for the further and advanced purchase. Now, Professor Mark, how should we understand the trip for Xi Jinping? And also, what does that say regarding the countries between China and Saudi Arabia? Thank you. This trip was very key for China in many ways. It was the first major foreign policy event since the wrapping up of the National Congress, which was obviously very important to President Xi. He received his third term, and now we're patiently waiting to see what China's domestic and foreign policy agenda is going to be looking like in the coming years. It is very interesting that uh, this trip was given so much uh, play, if you will, by the Chinese media. Mm. And it was very important because, as you said, a great deal of economic deals were signed. But also this really kind of cemented uh, China's interest in the Gulf region, in the Middle East. China has been trying to diversify its diplomatic and financial interests in that region. And as you say, this is a concern to the United States and the West, because this is a region where the West traditionally had a great, uh, great deal of profile. Mm. Now, I would say the major accomplishment of this trip was a deepened strategic relationship between China and Saudi Arabia, mm. that um, it was agreed that there would be discussions in many different areas, uh, everything from energy to health to uh, joint development as well as security. Mm. So this definitely got quite a bit of attention, but this was also an occasion where China had a chance to meet with other leaders in the Gulf region as part of the China-Arab summit. 
And it really also demonstrated that Beijing is quite serious in deepening its economic and diplomatic footprint in an area which, like I said, tended to be much more angled towards the West. Well, Professor Mark, again, going back to um, the intro, as we mentioned before, but during this economic agenda and uh, the summit, that Saudi Arabia, or even from the Chinese perspective, that proposed this idea to use the Chinese currency as the mechanism to purchase the oil from Saudi Arabia. Now, again, we know that not too long ago, sitting U.S. President Joe Biden also made a visit to the Middle East and also met up with a similar or maybe the same leader. But somehow, according to the media result, that trip for Joe Biden did not really go as he planned. But now this time, Chinese president went to the Saudi Arabia and had a similar conversation or even advanced this political or this economic agenda. Now, what does that say about the Chinese market and also the Chinese currency value at this moment? And how do you think that really threatens the uh, the U.S. market or at least for the U.S. economic agenda for the bigger picture? Exactly. You bring up two key points here. The first is oil. Since the uh, the ebbing of the pandemic and since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, oil prices have been erratic, to say the least. They have been rising. There have been a lot of concerns about an energy crunch. So when President Biden went to Saudi Arabia to meet with leaders, including uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Sultan last July, there was the hope that Saudi Arabia could be convinced to increase production and to convince other uh, oil producing governments in the region to do the same. Mm. That did not work out. Now you have the visit by Xi Jinping, who is also obviously very concerned about energy security. He got a much better reception, and it demonstrates that China is really starting to portray itself as an alternative pole to the United States as far as the Gulf region is concerned. Mm. Now, the second point about currency, well, it's not a secret that China is wanting to internationalize the yuan, Mm. that China's currency uh, is being uh, put into place to be a global currency potentially to challenge the dollar, although I think that's a long way off. But nevertheless, China wants the yuan to be more mainstream, if you will, for global transactions, global finance. Uh, China's been experimenting with a digital renminbi, and that's been in play now for about seven years, Mm. uh, various uh, projects and experiments. So I'm not surprised that Xi Jinping would make a call for these kinds of energy transactions, fossil fuels, oil and gas, to be conducted using renminbi. Well, Professor Mark, we know when we talk about economic agenda, that one term that has been thrown around back and forth, which is reciprocity. You know, so in other words, in order to get something, I have to offer something uh, negotiable, or I have to offer something which is this have the same value. Now, it's so interesting, and also it's so challenging for us to understand. What do you think in return for Saudi Arabia? Because we know that those two, uh, those region or this country, it's not there for emptiness. It's actually there's a, something deeper behind the friendship, and there must be something even more meaningful beyond just this economic or political agenda. So help us to understand by visiting Saudi Arabia in person and also by signing those multiple important deals. What will Saudi Arabia get in return? And how do you think that China is going to fulfill those promises, whatever that will be? To back up a step, it is very clear that relations between the United States and Saudi Arabia have become much more difficult in recent years. And that was demonstrated by the Biden visit last summer. 
So first of all, Saudi Arabia is looking to China as an alternative economic partner, which is mm. something China is more than happy to step forward and accomplish. As well, Saudi Arabia is very interested, as are many countries, in the Chinese market. There is a lot of question about where China's economy is going to go as it attempts to move away from zero COVID policies. So a lot of this is also about investment and various types of economic, financial, and possibly technological cooperation. There is also, as far as Saudi Arabia is concerned, it is noticing that China is starting to become a little bit more multifaceted, I would say, mm. in its Gulf uh, diplomacy. Previously, you saw a considerable amount of bilateral cooperation between China and Iran. But we are seeing many signs that Beijing is starting to step away a little bit from Iran to say, OK, we want to be a partner to the region overall. We are not going to concentrate too much on particular centers of power. And that is a great interest to Saudi Arabia, considering that the rivalry between uh, Riyadh and Tehran uh, certainly has not abated. Mm. Professor Mark, before we bring Iran into the conversation, I want to um, read something to you very interesting because we know that, again, previously you and I, we had multiple discussions regarding one of the Xi Jinping's signatory a project, which is Belt and Road Initiative. But meanwhile, right now, people are also very much interested in discovering something from, from the Saudi Arabian side, which is called a Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 Economic um, diversification plan. Now, again, it sounds very complicated, but again, according to the agenda, that it looks so much similar to the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, help us to understand why is it significant for China to participate or even to join the discussion regarding the Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 economic plan? And how does that even benefit China in the long run? Or is that really another sub plan or even that be a secretive strategy behind Xi Jinping's Belt and Road Initiative? Yes, to use the business term, there is quite a bit of synergy between the two plans which um, you discuss. Mm. Saudi Arabia has known, and this was exacerbated as a result of the pandemic, that the energy situation in Saudi Arabia is not going to continue on as it is forever. Mm. And one of the cornerstone policies of the Crown Prince is to diversify the Saudi economy, to move it away from an over-reliance on oil and gas. This is going to be very complicated because obviously this is the major driver of the Saudi economy. So it is looking for outside assistance. There has been all kinds of different development plans which have been brought forward. And China is seen as a potential partner for those plans. Mm. China has also made it uh, very apparent from the start of the Belt and Road that the Gulf region was going to be a major conduit for shipping, for energy, and for services. So these two plans have quite a bit in common. I imagine that was one area that was under a great deal of discussion uh, during the summit, during the meetings. And China also wants to take advantage of the fact that currently the Gulf region is uh, under a great deal of international attention mm. to make sure that its own interests are being um, uh, being understood there. Mm. Professor Mark, again, I want to bring back um, this country called Iran. But we know that in reality, Iran has been one of the rather sensitive countries for the West. Again, given the fact that we're looking at human rights issues and social unrest and also a religious uh, extremist. But anyway, but at this moment, every time when we talk about the country of Iran and when we bring this country into the conversation, China has been very quiet 
towards those sensitive issues and which is uh, which are heavily criticized by the West. Now, help us to understand what is the political or even this economic relationship between China and Iran at this moment. And that's number one. Number two, are we facing, or when I say we, that means the West or even other countries in Europe, are we actually facing multiple political changes or political uncertainties just beyond looking at what China, what is Iran are doing at this moment? Yes, Iran has had a very difficult relationship with China over the past few decades. From an economic viewpoint, it's been full speed ahead. Certainly, China has been interested in setting up energy partnerships with Iran. Uh, Iran is seen as a major energy partner for Chinese interests. However, and we've seen this uh, just in the meetings in Saudi Arabia, China is not willing to get directly involved in the security issues in the region. And that includes mm. the Iran-Saudi rivalry, or the rivalry, I should say, between Iran and the greater Gulf region. Mm. So China's really been trying to compartmentalize that. Now, you look at the current situation between Iran and the United States. Iran is being accused of supporting Russia with weapons imports. That's right. This has been... This is obviously of great concern to the U.S. China, again, does not want to get itself entangled in that particular dispute. Um, China has technically uh, declared neutrality in uh, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and certainly does not want to be caught, with Western caught in Western sanctions, I should say. So China is really starting to give Iran a little bit more of a wide berth in regards to its diplomacy. Now, one very interesting thing to come out of the Saudi Arabia meetings, there was a statement by China calling for a negotiation over three disputed islands, uh, the Greater Tun, the Lesser Tun, and the uh, Abu Mesa. Mm. These are three small islands that are disputed between the United Arab Emirates and Iran. China called for negotiation. Uh, the Iranian government was not happy with that because mm. as far as they're concerned, it's a non-issue that these islands are Iranian territory. So that was a very strong signal that China is starting to move away from direct um, partnership with Iran and starting to take a much more kind of region-specific approach to diplomacy, which doesn't necessarily include Iranian interests. But again, going back to the question, we know not only for Iran, but also for China has been heavily criticized by the West regarding the issue of human rights. And also, again, we're looking at this technological uh, competition between China and the West. And I know that, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this from Secretary of the State Anthony Blinken, that calling that China is continue to play this technological war unfairly. So in other words, China is not following the rules. And as a matter of fact, that China is secretively supporting others, uh, um, what they call a spyware or, you know, all those names being thrown in the air. But Professor Mark, going back to the question is... Now, when we look at Iran and when we look at China and also Russia and all those countries, these countries are engaged with each other, either on this political level or even on this economic agenda. Now, why do you think it's so concerning for the West to deal with China carefully at this moment? And again, do we think at this moment the West is willing to soften the tones with China and so that can, can China can help with the country of Iran or maybe can help the country with Russia at this moment? Is China becoming a bargain or maybe a bargaining chip for the West? Yes, it's, you raise a lot of very important questions. In regards to technology, it is very apparent that technological competition is going to be a major facet of 
uh, Sino-American relations in the next few years. There's a lot of concern that this competition is going to start to become much more visible. Mm. Uh, we've seen many manifestations of this just over the past few weeks. Uh, various state governments and legislatures are starting to get concerned about TikTok. Mm. There has uh, been one of the deals, by the way, that was signed between China and Saudi Arabia involved Huawei, cooperation in 5G and cloud computing. Mm. Whereas Huawei is... Um, has not been able to make any kind of foothold, certainly not in the United States and not in Europe. So we're seeing these kind of manifestations of uh, competition over technology really appear in many different parts of the world. Now, as you point out, yes, China has made some significant inroads in certain parts of the world, setting up deals uh, regarding technology transfer and some of that uh, can and has involved surveillance. So this is a great concern to the West. It is of great concern to the United States. And it does raise issues that what China is seeking to do as part of its overall Belt and Road is to create economic partnerships based on greater technology transfer. Professor Mark, when we talk about Belt and Road Initiative, again, after looking at the trip that Xi Jinping made to Saudi Arabia, I want to go back to the topic regarding this Chinese economy. You know, again, we're looking ahead that Xi Jinping proposed the one major deal, which is called a Made in China 2025. And we're only three years away from this. Now, again, with, as you mentioned before, this year that Xi Jinping not only he received what he promised, which is the continuing continuation, uh, a continuation of his presidency for the third term, but also the experts believe that Xi Jinping is going to be very much heavily involved in this uh, um, economic agenda from 2023 and so forth. Professor Mark, from your perspective, how should we understand his plan forward? And look at these people and look at the cabinet and the members that he picked. Is Xi Jinping going to focus on economy rather than this political uh, agenda for the future or for the, at least for the following three to five years? And also, what can we expect regarding this BRI, or Belt and Road Initiative, because some countries have already raised the questions regarding the validity and also this economic partnership under Belt and Road Initiative. This would involve a two-part answer. First of all, I would say yes, the economy is still going to be a major priority for China. However, what do we mean when we say economy? And that is the question of the hour. Mm. As you pointed out, the current composition of the standing committee tends to be a little bit more leaning towards uh, Xi loyalists rather than uh, economic specialists. Mm. That was very heavily noted uh, when the standing committee was announced uh, last month. As well, the discussion, you pointed out the issue of decoupling, the issue of a separation, a greater distance between the Chinese and Western economies. That is still very much a concern, and it is still very apparent that China is trying to insulate its economy, especially key sectors, from certain degrees of Western competition. How this is going to play out is going to be very key, however, because we're seeing a great deal of turmoil within China right now as a result of the zero-COVID policies, first of all, being implemented and now being very uh, rapidly uh, pulled back. Mm. This has meant that we're seeing a great deal of uncertainty, at least in the short term, in regards to China's economy. And how the U.S. and others are going to respond is going to be very key. Like, is this just going to be a kind of short-term fluctuation? Or are we going to be seeing longer-term economic difficulties within China? So that is going to be the variable that's going to need to be looked at in order to determine this relationship. Professor Mark, towards the end of the conversation, I want to bring another country into our conversation again, which is India. 
We know that India plays also a significant role when we look at Chinese economy. And given the fact that today, India and China and Russia, and they're still in this what we call the BRICS. So in other words, many significant countries are, uh, are solidifying this partnership or this economic relationship in order to uh, generate much more wealth and also this global impact. But meanwhile, India has grown tremendously close to the West. You know, again, given the fact that Indian is so afraid that Chinese economic power and also Chinese military power can also pose as threat to the country of India. Now, Professor Mark, help us to understand how should we understand the relationship between India and China at this moment? And also given the fact that today, India is also very much interested in investing and also developing its agenda with the country of Iran and Saudi Arabia as well. Yes, India, there's a political science term, hedging. Mm. So when a government really tries not to commit too much to a particular course of action, in this case, a foreign policy action, this is really illustrating uh, much of Indian foreign policy right now. Now, as you correctly point out, India has started to move more towards uh, the United States, the West. It has started to um, engage in more serious security dialogues mm. in um, the Indo-Pacific. It has started to really express concerns about uh, China's growth, China's military plans. There have been more than one incident, including one very recently, of uh, clashes between members of the Indian and Chinese military along mm. the disputed borders. Yet, India has also tried not to move too far away from its traditional foreign policy stance. It has been very reluctant, for example, to directly condemn Russia for its actions in Ukraine. It is still seeking to uh, cooperate with the BRICS. And it is still very interested in kind of carve out its own particular stance in regional affairs. So it's very interesting case of Indian foreign policy almost wanting to have its cake and eat it too. Mm. And so far it has been quite successful because India has been identified by the United States as a key component for any kind of emerging uh, security architecture, including, for example, the Quad as well as various other forms of economic cooperation, which the Biden government is trying to pursue in the Asia-Pacific region. Mm. Now, how that is going to play out is going to be very key because India has been trying to walk this foreign policy tightrope. It is going to become much more difficult, though, especially as China continues to assert itself. And there is going to be a lot of uh, debate, I would say, within the Indian government over, OK, are we dealing with a substantial shift in our international relations stance? Or is this, again, going back to the idea of hedging? Hmm. Professor Mark, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking the question is, we know that for next G20 summit and India is going to be the host country. Now, for this time, that Indonesia was the host country. And again, um, as the Indonesia leader faces multiple challenging tasks, on one hand, we're looking at this deadlock between U.S. and China and the ongoing war in Ukraine and also this uh, um, Chinese influence over Southeast Asia. And also, again, the, uh, the, the, the agenda can go on and on. But meanwhile, looking ahead, India is going to be the host country for the G20 summit. Just based on what you said, how do you think that India continues to balance its relationship between China and the West? Again, we're not putting any indication out there, but it doesn't look like U.S. and China are going to soften its diplomacy or strategy in a very soon time period. So again, as the host country or as the country who, which is caught in the middle, how do you think India can I don't again, I want to be careful. I don't want to say to please both partners, but at least not to agitate neither of them. What do you think of Professor? 
Yes, it is a good point. I would say, if I were going to predict, that the Modi government will probably be looking to two um, major agendas during that meeting. First of all, as you say, it is in a very good position to act at least as a conduit between various parties during the mm. meeting, and that includes the United States and China. Uh, India, because of its size and because of its very interesting foreign policy approach of late, it is in a good position to do that. I would say, though, that the second point has to do with more kind of nuts and bolts issues, and that is the global economy. Mm. India, like pretty much everywhere else, is being affected in many ways by issues of economic uncertainty, financial uncertainty, and energy crunch. And I think that India will also try to ensure, because it does also consider to be a major uh, kind of spokes, uh, spokes government for uh, developing regions, to say, okay, we understand that the security situation is very bad, but let's talk about human security. Let's talk about food security. Let's mm -hmm. talk about issues of development. So I I think that that will also be the second major area that India will want to pursue, taking advantage of the fact that there are going to be many prominent leaders there who are in a position to listen. Well, Professor Mark, I agree with you. Again, initially, before we start the conversation, we're only two weeks, two weeks away from 2022. Again, this has been a very busy year. And also, of course, that we really appreciate that your uh, time and effort every time to join our show and help us to understand some of the key components and also the analysis, not only about China, but also within this international community. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Professor Mark Lenton. Again, Professor Lenton teaches in political science, including international relations and some of the key countries such as China, Japan, South Korea, North Korea, and also including security studies and political economy. Again, Professor Mark, thank you so much for doing this. And again, we'd love to have you as we move forward for the year of 2023 and continue to follow what will happen to China and also the entire world. And again, thank you so much for doing this.